Before I ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word, I want you to go ahead and open your Bible or the Blue Pew Bible in front of you. Uh, You're going to need it because we're going to move through a number of places today. I want to encourage you to bring your Bible. If you don't have one, we have a bookstore downstairs, you can grab one, or feel free to just take the one that's in the pew, the blue one. But grab hold of that, and if you need to share it with someone, that's fine too. We are coming to an end of our study on the life of Moses. Uh, Paul Goebel kicked us off on April 16th, the Sunday after Easter. We moved through this study, which I hope has been encouraging to you as it certainly has to me. We could spend many more weeks on the life of Moses, but we're going to move on, and we're going to move to the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, where we will start next Sunday. I encourage you now to begin reading that. Read it slow. If you can, though, read it in one sitting. It won't take you as long as you think. And just ask the Lord to begin to show you things that are there. One of my favorite questions that I asked the Lord this summer as I studied was, why did you give us this book? And I cannot wait for us to go through this together as Paul and I lead us through a series that will take us well into the new year. So this morning, we're going to end by the session by looking at the life of Moses. And what I want to do is I want to read a little bit of a section before I have you stand, and it's going to come in Moses I'm sorry, in Deuteronomy 32. Moses has just given the people of Israel a third song. And this third song that he's given them is full of warnings. They have been a rebellious people, a hard people to lead. He's been leading them a long time. So he gives them this song. When he finishes this song, he then speaks about the importance of what they heard, the importance of listening. That's what I want to read first. Then I'm going to have you stand. Let's listen. Moses came and recited all the words of this song in the hearing of the people, he and Joshua, the son of Nun. And when Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life, and by this word, you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. What Moses is saying, as he knows he is about to die, is you need to listen to the truth that I've been telling you. You need to take these truths and pass them down to your children. Children, no matter how old you are, Your parents have had the great privilege and have the great privilege of telling you the truth of God's word. It may may be boring to you at times. It may seem irrelevant to you at times. But the question you must wrestle with is, is it true? And as a church, we believe all of God's word is true. And so Moses knows the end of his leadership of Israel's coming to an end as he's going to die. And he begs the people of Israel who have been stiff-necked who have been rebellious, listen, take heart. And that's what I want to say to you this morning as we hear about the end of Moses' life. God is about to call Moses up on a mountain, seemingly for the last time. He's going to have him see the promised land. He's going to remind him of why he's not going into the promised land. 
And then we're going to hear what God says about Moses. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Deuteronomy 32, 48 to 52, then verses 1 through 12 of chapter 34. Take heart, friends, to what you hear. That very day the Lord spoke to Moses. Go up this mountain of the Abiram, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for a possession, and die. I just want to pause. Don't miss that. Go up the mountain and die. God's being very direct. He speaks to Moses face to face. We read the Bible way too fast. He was a man. He was only a man. He knew he was going to die, but God is saying, it's now. Go up the mountain, verse 50, and die. And die on the mountain which you go up. And be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. Because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. And because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. For you shall see the land before you but you shall not go there into the land that I'm giving to the people of Israel. Now over to Deuteronomy 34. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, and which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Western Sea, the Negev and the plain that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes, his eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. We have seen Moses as he saw the burning bush. We saw him as he led the people out of the land of Egypt with his back their backs against the water. We listened to Moses sing, and we heard his prayers. This man of God, this servant. And now he's coming to the end of his life, and we have these last words. In Deuteronomy 32, a song mostly of warnings, and then final blessings for Israel that are incorporated in verse 33. Last words matter. 
Every one of us are going to speak last words. Some of you have had the privilege of hearing a loved one's last words. One of the great privileges we have as pastors is that we are often with a family in that moment when their loved one is taken from this earth and their soul immediately goes into the presence. Sometimes we get to hear the last words. Sometimes as we're preparing a memorial service, we hear what the family tells us were the last words. Last words really matter. My mother, her last words, very sweet. She was in Mercy Hospital. We knew that it was imminent that she would pass. Everybody is around that could be there. There's a lot of people. And I asked my mom, Mom, what's the first thing you want to do when you get to heaven? She was still conscious and able to speak, but it was labored and slow. She waited for a few minutes, it seemed. The nurses and everybody around caring for her kind of leaned in. And my mom said these words. These were her last words. I want to find your father. He had preceded her in death. And everybody was like, oh, that is so sweet. And then she paused for maybe half a minute and then said, and these were her final words, and kick him. <laughs> that was it. I don't think that's what she did. We're not sinning in heaven. She was just expressing the burden of what it was like to not live several years without the love of her life. Tim Keller, on Tuesday at 1.30, there will be a live stream memorial service of his life. I'm sure that many of you would like to watch that. There are those that know what his last words are. Certainly, God has used him in mighty ways and continues to do so. Today, with technology, it's pretty amazing how I can go to my phone and look up the last words that Tim Tinsley and I shared together. I can still listen to the last message that Doug Horn gave to me before he died. You can do the same thing if you've kept those records. Moses sang a song inspired by God. And then he gave the blessings in 33, inspired by God. But this morning, as we look at the legacy of his life, I would like to focus on what God said about him and what God said to him and how that instructs us to think about the life we are to live in Christ. Go to Deuteronomy 34, go to verse 10. What does the Lord say about Moses? God's word. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. The Lord is saying, there's no one like him. Not a prophet like him. I've known him face to face. The signs and wonders that this servant of mine has done are remarkable. In his book called The Life of Moses, 
God's first deliverer of Israel, James Montgomery Boyce wrote these words in chapter one. Apart from Jesus Christ, no person in history has made as deep or lasting an impression on the world as Moses, the servant of the Lord. What an amazing statement. There was a danger and is a danger in doing a sermon series on the life of a person. There's actually a danger of this in every sermon that we preach. And it is what Brian Chapel, who was the president of Covenant Seminary and my professor of homiletics when I was there, calls the deadly bees. The deadly bees are when a congregation hears a sermon and leaves thinking, I need to be like Moses. And since April 16th, if that's what you've heard over and over again, you have missed it. The deadly bees are things like be disciplined, be good. Things that actually are spiritually dangerous to your soul if they are left by themselves. Those statements in and of themselves actually have merit, they actually have a place. Even Paul the Apostle says, be like me, but he says that in the context of as I am like Christ. So our goal since April and our goal every Sunday is that you would never leave this place saying, I need to be more like David. I need to be more like Peter. I need to be more like Paul. Or I need to be more like Tim Keller. Or I need to be more like, put your favorite person there. That's deadly. No man of God or woman of God truly who abides in Christ would ever want that to be the message you hear about their life. But that's the temptation. For example, the word of God tells us about Moses. In verse 34, seven, it says, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. Did you see that? Did you hear that? Some of you might be thinking, that's how I wanna go out. I'm gonna go out with my eye undimmed and my vigor unabated. Really? Really? You think so? How much control do you have over your ability to see? You don't have any. You can get glasses. But this is a grace of God that Moses had eyes that were undimmed. That he had a vigor that was unabated. There was a reason for it, and I'll tell you what it is in just a minute. But the goal was never Man, I need to be like Moses. I need to lead my company like Moses. I need to lead this church like Moses. I need to lead my family like Moses. Don't misunderstand me. There aren't truths that can't be extracted from that. But the message of God's word from beginning to end is always the same. They're pointing to a person. And the person that they're pointing to is Jesus. Jesus from Genesis to the book of Revelation where we're gonna spend many months in. It's all, always about Jesus. The deadly bees will have you focused on the man, on self, as opposed to the utter dependence that we have on God to do what only he can do. God said great things about Moses. There's no one like him. I've spoken with him face to face 
He's done signs and wonders for my glory. But now let's listen to what he said to him. Go back to chapter 32, again to verse 48. That very day, the Lord spoke to Moses, go up this mountain of Abiram, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for a possession. Now, I want you to picture this. God's word is full of mountaintop experiences. They're full of God calling one of his people to ascend. Once again, the Lord is calling Moses to ascend up this mountain. He's ascended up mountains before. Remember the glory that was on Moses' face as he comes down with the Ten Commandments, radiating the glory of God? Moses is being called up the mountain once again for two reasons. Number one, so that he can see the land that the people that he has been leading for 40 years are going to soon occupy. They are going to soon set foot on the promised land. Secondly, he's taking him up there so he can die. But something else is said that's really important. Verse 50, and die on the mountain which you go up and be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother died in Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. Because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel and at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people, you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. What does that mean? Here you see a man of God, a faithful servant, who God used next to Christ more than any other human being to impact world history. But what you see is the gap and the gulf that exists between a man, a man who is so faithful, so filled with power, and the living Christ. The gap between Moses and Jesus, it's infinite, it's great. Moses, like all other men, missed the mark. Moses, just like you and just like me, sinned. Moses, just like you and just like me, needed a mediator, even though he was the mediator of the old covenant. There was no great thing that Moses could do to close that gap. There was no amount of faithfulness that Moses could do to close that gap. He was a man just like you, sinner, wretch, in need of a savior. And you see that sin more than once, but you see it manifest here because with it comes a punishment that God promised would exist. So what was the punishment? Take your Bible, go to the left a little bit to Numbers chapter 20. This is an amazing story in the Old Testament in the Pentateuch. Verse two of Numbers 20 begins to tell the story of what Moses did wrong. There's two reactions that you might have. One might be, what was it really? I didn't see it. Or secondly, even if you see it, why was that such a big deal? And after all this time, 
Why doesn't God show grace? Those are fair questions. Let's look at it. Numbers 20, verse two. Now there was no water for the congregation. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, would that we have perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. So what are the people doing? They're doing what they always did. They are hard, stiff-necked, rebellious, very difficult people to lead. We are hard, stiff-necked people, rebellious and hard to lead. We're just like them. They have been scattered for some season. Now they're being called back together. And when they are coming back together, they have a problem. There is no water. But who has always provided for them? The one who parted the waters. The one who gave them manna. The one who gave them light. He's given them everything. But now, once again, there's no water. They complain. They quarrel. And I'm telling you, Moses is tired. He's exhausted. And he's angry. So what does he do? Verse 6. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. Have you ever left an assembly of your children where they're complaining about something? Have you ever on a summer trip stopped the car, got out, fell on your face? Have you ever experienced a rebellious people where you're just like, I don't know what to do. I'm tired, I'm done. That's how Moses feels. And he does what he should do. He and Aaron both. They go away from the presence of the assembly into the presence of the Lord and they fall on their face and they meet with the Lord and the glory of the Lord is present. I want you to understand something, especially as we move into Revelation. When we're talking about God's glory, we are talking about something so much greater than a simple Christian worldview. We're talking about something so much greater than a simple checklist of how to be a better disciple. We're talking about something so much greater than conservative politics. We are talking about union with the living God that is real and so mysterious and so mind-blowing that he would give us a story like this and a vision like the book of Revelation. Moses is on his face. Aaron is with him. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses. Now listen carefully to what the Lord says. Because when the Lord speaks, he means what he says. He's going to do what he says. And that's a good thing. He says to Moses, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock, the key word here is tell, simple word, T-L-L, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Now, this is going to be a miracle. A rock, once again, this has happened before, is going to yield water for the people. But this time, instead of striking it like he was told to the last time, Moses is told very clearly, 
you and your brother Aaron, assemble the congregation, verse eight, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. There's a great picture here of God's sovereignty and power and God using secondary means like a man to bring water from a rock. It's amazing. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Now here's what happens. And this is where the sin comes in. Don't miss it. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together. I wonder what that was like. This group of people, there's lots of them that are grumbling. And now Moses is going to go up before them again. What was he feeling? What was he thinking? Well, they assembled together before the rock. And then Moses says to them, by the way, the Lord never said, speak to them. He said, speak to the rock. He says, hear now, you rebels. Was it fitting? Yes. Was it true? Yes. Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Where was his eyes focused? On him and Aaron. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock, you rebels? Verse 11. And Moses lifted up his hand. He was never told to do that. And he struck the rock with his staff twice. Why? Why? Because they were hard. They were rebellious. They didn't listen. They didn't trust. They nodded him into things and then went on and worshiped and sacrificed things to idols. He was weary. He was tired. He was angry and disobedient and full of sin. He took his staff I wondered what it looked like. And he struck the rock twice and water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and so did their livestock. What a picture. The grumbling, rebellious people getting the water they needed. But how does God think about this? Verse 12, and the Lord said to Moses, remember they speak face to face. Because you did not believe in me. Friends, that's the core of every sin you commit. Because you did not believe in me. To uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Moses didn't show him holy. Moses did not do what the Lord commanded. There are three things that Moses did in sin. Number one, he did not do exactly what God told him to do. God was clear, his word was clear, but Moses took matters into his own hands. Secondly, he gave credit to himself and Aaron. He sought the glory that only God deserved. And thirdly, he didn't trust God. When we see Moses at the end of his life being called up the mountain, 
to see the land that the Lord is about to give his people. The promise is about to be fulfilled. Is there any part of you that says, come on, God, let him into the promised land. He's been mostly faithful. Friends, this is why we have such a screwed up vision of God. God is holy. He is perfect. Every decision he makes is just and right. There is grace in God when he calls Moses up the mountain to show him what his promise is going to be. But there's also grace in God when he says, but you won't go there. Though your eye has been kept undimmed because I kept it that way for you so that you could see the land. Though your vigor is unabated because I've given it to you so you can climb up this mountain with me. I also am going to remain faithful to the curse that I gave that you're not gonna see it. I'm sorry, you're not gonna go there. Friends, we live in a world that simply wants to believe that God's word is real, but there's always going to be a way around the consequence. And when we believe that, we're listening to a false gospel. There's grace and security in knowing that when God says something, he means it. And what this shows us is that if we were ever tempted to worship Moses, if we were ever tempted to practice the deadly bees and say, I want to be like Moses, we recognize that the gap and the gulf between Moses and Jesus is infinite. Only God can close that gap. Moses can't. No other prophet can. Only Jesus. And here's why. Because Jesus was also a man. 100% man, tempted constantly, but never sinned. Moses, frustrated with the people. Well, so was Jesus at times. But in his frustration, Jesus never once sinned. He never did one thing that was against his father's will. Here's where you see this in a very profound way. This would not be the last mountain Moses was on. It would be the last mountain as a living human being that he was on. He would die there. They would mourn his death. But thousands of years later, there's going to be another mountain. And on that mountain is going to be Jesus, three of his followers, Peter, James, and John, his closest disciples, and two other individuals, really present, not just mysteriously present, really present. Here's how Luke describes it. Chapter nine, just listen. Now about, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter, John, and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. This is the Mount of Transfiguration. And as he was praying, Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. We read the Bible too fast. What did that look like? 
whatever Peter, James, and John were enabled and allowed to see was the picture of the future glory of what you, if you're in Christ, will see for all eternity. It's a big deal. It is God's Son present in all of his glory. And these three men, just like us, are seeing it. But along with Jesus in this envelope of glory are two other people. Who are they? Luke tells us. And behold, two men were talking with him. They were recognizable. What does that say about our future? I love to think about it. The two men were Moses and Elijah. Why those two? Well, some would say because Moses, the mediator, was the one really engaged with the law. Elijah was one of the prophets. That's very likely a, a real possibility. But I think there's more. Who else had a face that was radiating the glory of God? It was Moses on a mountain coming down. But his was the reflection of God being burdened on him as opposed to the very living son of God radiating pure and perfect glory. What are they talking about? This is amazing. Verse 31. Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Well, Moses at this point is where he's in the promised land. His feet are on the same mountain where Jesus is being transfigured. The glory of God is enveloping them. And what are they talking about? They're talking about Jesus' departure. A better word in the Greek is the word exodus. His delivery. His delivery of the people. Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, and this is classic Peter, Master, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Verse 34, as he was saying these things, a cloud came over and overshadowed them. Think about the cloud on Mount Sinai, the glory of God. A cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. Moses, before he died, said to the people, listen to me. Take heart. What I'm saying is true. But it was all pointing to this future mediator, the ultimate mediator, the perfect lamb of God, who, before it's all over for him on earth, he is going to ascend a hill. And as he ascends a hill, it's the hill where he's going to be crucified. He is going to be struck. The rock, Christ Jesus, the Lord of lords, is going to be struck. From him will flow blood. Blood that's being poured out for the sins of all his people. The river of life flowing 
for all who trust in him. Moses' life, as great as it was, still had a gulf and a gap that existed where he himself needed the same mediator. Every sermon we preach, even when it's about a man who did great things for God, or every memorial service we attend, and it's about a woman or a man who's done great things for God, we must all remember that it's pointing to Jesus. It is pointing to the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I want you to be still for just a minute longer. And I want to read from the book of Hebrews in closing. Then we are going to stand and sing Amazing Grace. Don't rush there yet. I promise. I'm not that far from finishing. But I want you to hear how important it is that we listen to what God is saying about who he is. Be still. Stop rustling pages. This is powerful. In a small house church, experiencing the fear of great trials and persecution, a pastor preached the book of Hebrews. He begins by speaking of the radiance of the glory of Jesus Christ and why he is far superior than anything or anyone. Then he comes to chapter three and he speaks of how much greater Moses, I'm sorry, how much greater Jesus was than Moses. This is gonna take two minutes. Listen and take heart. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of much more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we, anyone in here, anyone anywhere who is in Christ, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, the Holy Spirit says, and I want everyone to hear this, Please listen. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be any among you with an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it, for good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. I'm sorry if you're at a place where you're just tired of listening to the word of God. I'm deeply sorry. Because so many things come against us and we want to think that we've got tons of time to waste before we really come to say we believe or we don't believe. Friends, you have heard the good news of Christ. He keeps his word. There is not going to be something that happens at the end of time where suddenly it's a, oh, all right, I'll just let everybody in. The Lord is faithful to his promises, also to his blessings, and also to his curses. He says of his son, the perfect lamb, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. You may be smarter than God in your own eyes, smarter than me in your own eyes, smarter than your parents, smarter than Tim Keller, smarter than Moses. I just beg you to consider one thing. Are you so confident in your beliefs about the world and what God says about it that you're willing to say, I am right, and he is wrong. The rebellious people, that's their message. God's message to us is, I love you. I've pursued you from the beginning. I've given everything necessary for you to have eternal life. This life is in my son. Moses could sing amazing grace with us, and it wouldn't be wrong. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The only one who was never a wretch was Jesus Christ. He did not miss the mark, but he let the sin and the wrath of that sin, that wretchedness, be struck on him so that we could experience that amazing grace. Be part of his building. Be part of his body in that glory for all eternity.
Christianity is not simply a worldview, a self-help manual, a list of things to check off to do a bit better. It is about union with this Jesus who loves you forever. Father in heaven, thank you for the word that you've given us and the song that we're about to sing. Though many in this world sing this song just because of the sweetness of what it might remind them of or the soberness of a moment, we as your people are singing it because it's true that it is by your grace and your grace alone that we have been saved. Father, I pray for any here today who have heard these words and know they're not walking with you, that they would return to you, they would come to you. Friend, go to him now. There is no distance that you have to run in your own strength. Just turn to him and he is there. Father, for those who have known you for a long time, would you allow the sweetness of these truths to so overwhelm us and give us a greater anticipation of the day when we, like Moses, will see you face to face in all your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.